the Start Your Own Business podcast. Hear inspiring startup stories and get reliable expert advice on how to start your business and get off to the best possible start. Brought to you by Startup Donut, helping small businesses succeed. Hello, I'm Chloe Thomas, your host, and in this episode, I'm speaking to Charlie Lowe and Dale Comley to find out about their unusual startup story and their unique award-winning business, Climbing Van. Climbing Van not only helps people learn how to convert vans into camper vans, but it also offers an off-grid electrical system design service, demand for which recently has been so strong that Charlie and Dale have had to expand their team of design experts. We're going to be talking about what led them to create the business, the research they did to define the niche they're now serving, how they've created the business to give them maximum freedom without holding back their growth. There's loads of great inspiration and many, many tips coming up. Before we meet them, though, please do find out about the show sponsors, Dell Technologies, and how their technology solutions could help your business to become more productive, efficient, secure and successful. This series of the Start Your Own Business podcast is brought to you by Startup Donut in association with Dell Technologies. Did you know you can get even more out of Startup Donut with new exclusive benefits from Dell Technologies? Dell for Startups provides key solutions to help set up your startup for success, including exclusive member pricing and a dedicated technology advisor who will get to know the needs and goals of your business. Advisors will deliver customised, scalable solutions for rapid tech enablement with top business class PCs and accessories. Join now for valuable resources that will help your business get growing. Visit dell.com forward slash UK startups to join today. It's time to meet our startup experts, Charlie Lowe and Dale Comley. Hello, Charlie. Hi. And hello, Dale. Hello. Brilliant to have you both here. Now, you live a nomadic lifestyle and you could literally be anywhere in Europe talking to us right now. So where are you as we record and what are the views looking like? So this is probably the first day in the last year and a half that we've actually got a really boring answer and we're back in Bristol and we're in a house, which is, yeah, probably one of the first times that's happened in that time period, really. We were in Spain last week. So yeah, back back to a more conventional view out the window. And is it nice to be back in a house or are you craving the van right now? I think it's novel to have more than one room uh, to spend our time in. So yeah, we're definitely appreciating separate rooms, especially for bathrooms. <laughs> and um, uh, we've just got a couple of months back in the UK before we're off on a much longer trip to the US. So I think we're appreciating some time in one place before things get really chaotic again. Oh, how ex- how exciting. But we're not here to talk about that exciting element of your lives. We're here to talk about your business Climbing Van. So take us back to before you started Climbing Van. What did your careers look like beforehand? So I was working at an adventure travel company. It was quite a small company, so I was doing a few different roles. Part of my job was involved in kind of digital marketing um, and SEO a part of my role was in kind of software development. And then there was another part of it that was related to kind of data analysis. So 
I used to wear many hats and I used to work directly with the CEO. So it gave me a lot of kind of firsthand experience of how a small business runs, which was very useful. It does sound like you had some amazing amazingly useful skills and sector information and all the rest of it going into it. Dale, was your job kind of in the same as useful, I suppose? What were you doing before? It it, it was probably pretty contrasting. So I used to work for Dyson, which is an absolutely enormous company and very focused on very, very specific design projects. So I was a, a lead design engineer working on future products that would come out in perhaps five to 10 years time. Yeah, as contrasting as it could get really from what Charlie was working on. But thankfully before that, I did work for a really small consultancy. So I kind of got to see the stresses and challenges and rewards of running your own small business. So you were both small business friendly, or you knew what you were getting into. So what was the catalyst to give it all up and start your own business and go on the road at the same time. Yeah, so we we decided to quit our jobs and well, actually just go traveling and not start a business. It it came at a, a funny time because we'd spent over half a year and thousands and thousands of hours writing our book and that launched almost on the same day that we handed our notices in and it was this period of like massive change. And we kind of wanted that change because we were both a bit burnt out and we'd kind of maybe lost confidence in the things that we were doing before and wanted to try and find a change. What we didn't really envisage was that we'd have about a week off and then start a business. So you you wrote the book. Actually, tell, tell, tell us a bit about the book first. Um Charlie? We had essentially planned to have a year off traveling in a van and climbing. And so we spent a year kind of converting a van on weekends and in some kind of holiday time. And we finished our van conversion a week before the first UK lockdown, which obviously kind of threw our travel plans into disarray somewhat. So because we're both not very good at not doing anything, instead of traveling during the van conversion, we kind of built up a bit of an audience on Instagram and we were getting a lot of questions and we've been kind of writing a blog. So we felt like we should do something to help people because there wasn't really a definitive source of information on how to convert van. There's lots of blog posts and YouTube videos and this sort of thing. But because we're both from technical backgrounds, it kind of made sense to us that we should spend time researching and kind of documenting the definitive way of kind of approaching different things, whatever you're trying to do, small, big van, whatever you wanted to include, we kind of wanted to cover everything and write a bit of a Bible. So we spent about seven months over various different lockdowns writing the book. Um, And then it launched in April 2021, uh, which was the same time that we moved into our van. Got you. And so the book was... Initially, the idea was, well, we might as well just write all this down into a book because people are interested in it. It wasn't an idea for a business. It was just going to be something nice to do for everyone else and a bit of cash on the side. Yeah, exactly. There was never any intentions for it to become a business. It kind of naturally, we were actually kind of forced into forming a limited company because, well, of Brexit and being able to sell the book into Europe. And it meant that we had to be a limited company 
to have an EORE number and be VAT registered, despite the fact there's no VAT on books, to be able to go through and, and do that. So it's this weird thing where that kind of like almost like legal process pushed us into starting a business. And then because you've got costs and overheads associated with that, I think we started to think how else or what else can we do to try and help people? Excellent. So the book launched in March 2021. It's been very successful. And the the legal loopholes you had to go through to do it led you to create a business. So talk us through that decision then. So I think when we launched the book, we did a kind of pre-order um, and we had that open to people in the UK and people in Europe. And then I think about a month later, when we'd had hundreds of pre-orders and we came to the point of dispatching them, this fulfillment centre we were using in the UK suddenly dropped the bombshell on us that we needed something called an Eori number to be able to actually send these books to Europe. And I think the only other way around it would have been us driving to the fulfillment centre, picking up the hundreds of books and sending them privately, one by one via the Royal Mail, which didn't really feel like a good solution to us, especially because we were about to go travelling and it would have meant we couldn't sell any more books into Europe. So there was this kind of legal requirement that we had to become a limited company. And so we kind of went through that process. And I think the other thing is that me and Dale have always been very um, kind of entrepreneurial and we've always known that at some point in the future we'd like to start our own business. So I think it made sense for us to do that because we knew that probably something would evolve from it. Yeah, I think when we were um, like researching and, and writing the book, we we wanted to try and gather as much data as we possibly could about the market, A, well, from two different types of people. A, like people that wanted to do it but haven't done it yet, and then crucially from people that have done it and gathering as many different stats and bits of information that we could from those people. And what that really taught us was that there was one particular stage of a van conversion that was A, the most expensive, B, the most time-consuming, and C, the bit that realistically a lot of people got wrong and that was the electrical system so i think still at this point with no real vision of it becoming a full business idea we started trying to come up with clever calculators and systems to try and take quite sort of fluffy like user needs in terms of like i want to use these things i want to go traveling here i want to have this functionality and take those soft requirements and then turn it into this kind of like engineered solution. And that was kind of the challenge that we sort of picked up. You built an accidental audience whilst doing your own van conversion project. You decided to write it up into a book because you couldn't go traveling because lockdown started. So you couldn't use your van. So let's let's write it up and, and help our audience some more. And during the process of that, you zeroed in on a key problem area that because of your own skill sets you were well set up to solve that's kind of cool kind of perfect yeah and and it was very much staring us in the face for quite a long time we were very much at this point still thinking oh what are we going to do after this year of traveling what jobs do we want to go back to and it, it really was staring us in the face for many many months 
And so you decide, so you had that moment of you've got to do the legal stuff and you've got to, you end up with all these additional overheads you weren't planning on having before going traveling for a bit. And the book's launch and is doing well. That's quite a bold decision to go, let's build the business whilst we're traveling around Europe. So how did you prepare for that side of it? So I think in one way, it's, sounds kind of crazy and then in another way it's actually kind of a nice way of doing it because as soon as you move into a van you don't have a lot of overheads that you would otherwise normally have you're not paying rent you're not paying bills your costs are much much lower and so it's actually kind of a less stressful time to be starting a business because you're not having to worry about all of these other things that you would normally be worrying about. And so the way that we kind of travel is we'll drive to a place and then we'll spend maybe a month or so in that place. We're both climbers. So we'll spend one or two days climbing and then we would work for a day. And we found that we could get quite a nice balance. We'd still end up working around 40 hours a week, but in a way that suited us better. And so obviously there's a lot of hurdles to kind of jump over when you're trying to do that remotely because you can't just go to a bank or get something sent to an address it it became slightly complicated in some ways but we kind of found ways around all of these different hurdles that we had to overcome and at that that beginning point how long was it between deciding to go right we're going to create this this solution for finding the electronics solution for individual vans to actually being taking money, I suppose, to being fully in business. What was the, the time span on that? So I think we probably had a two or three month period of purely trying to develop a kind of like very basic solution or basic compared to what we have now. And I think it was at the point where we started to get emails from people saying, you guys seem to know what you're doing. I don't can you help me? I'll pay for your service. That that kind of thing. And I think we then took on maybe two or three projects over a month. And it was kind of a bit of a like mutual kind of agreement that we're trialing like building this system. We can obviously manually go through and check everything and make sure that it's all correct. But it was a really good kind of like soft start we weren't under any real pressure to start delivering big numbers we just had a good amount of time to build something that worked really reliably and crucially was really beneficial to the customer as well it strikes me as um rather a, a clever maneuver that you're in your business you are now selling the physical products and making money on the physical products that enable people to do their electric conversion, but you're giving away the time-bound bit for free. So the bit which might have someone phoning you up going, when you're halfway up a, a mountain or a rocky pass, my terminology is going to be terrible there, apologies, any climbers listening. But you know, you're halfway up a climb and someone's not going to be calling you going, where's my specs? Where's my specs? As in specifications, sorry, not glasses. But you're making money on the bit you can almost fully outsource the workload of to someone else. That seems rather a perfect scenario. Yeah. So I think the way that we always approached things is we didn't want to end up being kind of purely consultants where the amount of time we put in is kind of equal to, I guess, 
the amount that you get paid. We wanted to build a more clever system that would ultimately spec someone's system in a much better, more informed way. But it also meant that we could employ engineers who can be the person who speaks to the customer and we can be confident that they're kind of designing them the correct system because of this kind of database calculator that we've built. So the way that we kind of operate is we'll send a customer every single component that they need for their system. So they essentially receive a package that contains maybe 100, 200 items, but they also receive a bespoke wiring diagram and an installation guidebook. So they know exactly how to install it. So we always kind of refer to it as a bit of a kind of Lego kind of, or, or Ikea, like follow the instructions and build it up. And it should be possible for anyone, even if they don't know anything about electricity to kind of piece it all together. But then they've also got the support and guidance of our engineers who are all from kind of engineering and technical backgrounds, because to us, looking at the rest of our industry, we thought it was really important that we employ people that really know what they're doing. Um, because I think there's a lot of companies in our industry who are selling products who don't necessarily have that really technical background, which for us just feels a bit crazy, really. Which is brilliant strategy, but requires a bit of money because you're hiring people who know what they're talking about, who are more expensive than people who don't <laughs> fundamentally. And you've got quite a lot of stock to have in place. If you've got 200 odd components that are customized or, or customized mix of components going out to each customer. So how did you fund that from day one? Was it, did you put loans into the business? Did you ask someone for money? Did you go to the banks? What was your funding method? Yeah. So I think initially our plan was to buy stock we already had warehouse space we'd already got fulfillment companies in both uh, the UK and Germany and we kind of anticipated going down the route of having to buy stock and operate in a fairly sort of traditional kind of like retail fashion what we quickly realized is to do a good job of designing all of these electrical systems because inherently they end up being different for every single person we would need many, many hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of stock to cover all of the various items that we need. So it might be 200 items included in a single person's system, but there could be like high thousands of different components we'd need to hold stock of. And for us, trying to do that remotely was not really feasible. And we didn't really like the idea of getting an absolutely enormous loan and committing to it in a really like definitive way so what we found was that a lot of ironically our competitors kind of that have stock of all of these items were very very keen for the extra business and we essentially drop ship all of the individual components from the respective suppliers so what it what it means is that we actually have better stock than anyone else because we work with so many other different businesses. So if something is particularly niche, we've got a really good chance of being able to find it still. And because I think the industry recognises that it is quite complicated and there isn't really a good solution, they do actually offer quite a good percentage on those items. And because they've got that bigger purchasing power, 
and they're getting literally like containers of single items we wouldn't really ever compete with that even if we were buying stuff and holding it ourselves we wouldn't get it at a better price than what they can give to us so we basically don't hold stock of anything other than our book always a nice way to keep your cash flow under control <laughs> the, the stock only gets bought at the moment when the customer actually wants it so obviously you you know you're successfully growing the business whilst also doing the nomadic lifestyle so for anyone listening who's thinking of building a business and traveling at the same time what would your ad advice to them be so i think the the thing that we've struggled with and have always tried to find a balance with is and everyone does, is that work-life balance. It would be madness that we could travel to all of these beautiful, amazing places and then not go out and explore. And you're actually just working like a 60, 70 hour week because you've got that pressure of being a startup and wanting to make sure that it's a, su a success. So that's, that's always been the biggest sort of challenge for us. And we've tried to be somewhat strict and have... So we'll, we'll work on mornings and evenings, like most days, but we'll have every, uh, we'll have like two days off, then do a full day of work, try and have two days off and repeat. But what we find is if we, if we do the more mundane tasks in the sort of mornings and evenings, and then save the clever stuff for like our single big day of work, then we actually feel a lot, lot more productive we come up with much better ideas, we're much fresher. And I think that's been a real, it's a, it's a difficult thing to commit to because you naturally want to do as many hours as you possibly can because you think that that's going to be the most beneficial thing to do. But I think for trialling this for like a, a year and a bit, I think we're, we're pretty sold on less is more. It's that interesting thing in any business is you can easily work all the hours that that the world sends but it i love the way you're structuring it with the on the days we're not working we do the admin tasks and then the day when we're fully focused we do the cool stuff that's going to take us forwards and i think whether you're building a business in your back room in a massive office in the middle of mayfair or from a van those those strategies hold hold the same and another element of your business which is has been key it seems from day one is the sustainability angle so what what led you to build that into the business at the very beginning so i think sustainability is something that's always been really important to both of us on like a personal level and i think we've always felt like that has to be kind of core to our business i think because of like various reasons, businesses we've previously worked and we've kind of felt like we really want to make sure that sustainability is like right at the center. Um, and ultimately a, a decent portion of people purchasing a system through us are planning on going to live in their van full time, which will have a big impact on reducing their personal carbon footprint. But also we've just wanted to make sure that everything we're doing is kind of having a positive impact on the planet. So in the past few months, we've become a member of 1% for the Planet. So we give 1% of our revenue to um, charity. We work with a charity in the US who provides solar power to kind of areas that need it most. Um, it's also set up by a climber called Alex Honnold. So it's kind of 
perfect on brand for us. And then kind of on the book side of things, we recognize that obviously printing a physical paper book has an impact on the planet. And so for every book that we sell, we plant a tree. Um, and, and we just try and think about each decision that we make as a business, kind of what impact it has, and as much as possible trying to like have books printed in the UK and source things in the most sustainable way that we can. And I think trying to have an impact on other people as well, whether that's suppliers or kind of our audience to think about these things. And I think one of the other nice byproducts of being a nomadic business is that our van is 100% kind of powered from solar. We're fully off grid. And so um, all of our employees live either off grid, in off grid houses or in vans as well. So our carbon footprint as a business is very small. It's something that we'd like to measure properly, but at the moment we can kind of see that relative to other businesses, it is very small, which is quite nice. So, And do you find your customers respond well to the sustainability side of what you're doing? Uh, yes. Yeah. I think it, maybe not as many as you would like hope. It'd be great if everyone was like choosing you as a like as a company because of sustainability, but you certainly get some people saying, oh, this is really cool that you do this. That's that's great. And it just makes that like decision and commitment to use you as a business that much easier. It's, it's something that I think we'd quite like to run some surveys on uh, on the website to see if it does um, factor into people's like purchasing decisions. I'd like to think it does. Me too. So we're nearly at the end. So um, do you each have one last piece of advice for someone starting a small business that may or may not be doing it whilst traveling around, please? Who wants to go first? Um, I think my tip is that no niche is too small. I think we always feared that designing campervan electrical systems for people self-converting a, a campervan would be a niche within a niche within a niche. But actually very quickly we've realised that that isn't the case and there's plenty of people out there, more more than enough for us to grow to whatever sort of size we'd ever uh, want to become. So I think it's it's having some confidence that if you're interested in a subject, there's a pretty good chance lots of other people are as well. And it doesn't take too much digging to kind of get an idea of like a market size. Like I think using Google search trends is really interesting. If you search for this kind of weird niche that you're interested in, you can very quickly see how many other people are Googling that in your country or across the world. And that's that's a good indicator of kind of market size and opportunity. Excellent. A couple of tips in there, really. Loving that. Uh, Charlie, and your last tip for everybody, please. I think it would be that you don't need to do everything and you should outsource things that you're not good at or you don't want to do. And quite often, if you're not an expert in something like VAT or accounting, the chances are that it's much cheaper to pay somebody else to do it than for you to spend hours and hours and hours trying to figure it out yourself. I think we learned that one quite quickly when we went down a lot of rabbit holes and then we suddenly realised actually we can just pay somebody else to do this and they actually know what they're doing. So I think that's an important one. Yeah, 
<laughs> agreed. So agreed. Okay, Charlie and Dale, before we say goodbye, could you please let the listeners know how they can find you and your business on the web, please? Yeah. So um, our website is uh, climbingvan.co.uk and our Instagram is at climbingvan. Simple as that, everybody. Well, look, Charlie, Dale, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your startup journey. It's been both inspirational and tip-packed. So thank you very much. Great. Nice to speak to you. Yeah, good to chat. What an inspirational pair. Such an interesting business they've they've built, both the the structure of that business and what it's enabling them to do whilst growing it. They are only about 18 months in right now. So don't think we'll start the business and then we can go and do the other thing. Why not do the other thing at the same time? And I think a lot of their key points are equally applicable whether you're traveling or not. And I think the real lesson for me from this one is that the the constraint of traveling or the constraint of wanting to spend two days climbing, one day working on the business makes them make better decisions for the long-term focus of their business. They're not selling everything you need to convert a van. They're selling just the electrical bit, which is the thing people have the most problem with. And then they're giving away for free the how the what you need and selling what you need. So the like the the servicey bit, the consulting bit they're doing for free because it enables them to grow the business faster. It's a really, really, really clever way of doing it. So think about potentially how you can build constraint into your startup to make it go better for you. Outsourcing clearly their friend enables them to focus on the right things in the business. And I think the what Dale said about no niche is too small. Do that research. Find that niche that you can dominate and do something better than everyone else in it is doing. Before I repeat the whole episode and sum it up in my key points, we did cover an awful lot of ground in this episode. So to help you, you can find the summary notes for this episode and links to more free resources by visiting startupdonuts.co.uk forward slash podcast. And that's donut spelt D-O-N-U-T. This whole series exists to help you complete key tasks and negotiate challenges when setting up and growing your new business. So next up, we will be covering email marketing, a highly cost-effective way to market your business. But unless you know the right way to do it, you can put in a lot of effort but not see much reward. Our guest expert will be explaining the simple steps you can make to make it work for you from day one. If you're enjoying the series and picking up valuable tips, please spread the word to others you know who are setting up a business or thinking about it. And be sure to sign up to the Donut Weekly newsletter for free startup news advice and special offers to help your new business succeed. That's www.startupdonuts.co.uk forward slash newsletters. Finally, thank you to Dell Technologies for making this whole series possible. And don't forget to join the Dell for Startups program for more exclusive benefits and valuable resources. Details coming up. Did you know you can get even more out of Startup Donuts with new exclusive benefits from Dell Technologies? Dell for Startups provides key solutions to help set up your startup for success, including exclusive member pricing and a dedicated technology advisor who will get to know the needs and goals of your business. Advisors will deliver customized, scalable solutions for rapid tech enablement with top business class PCs and accessories. Join now for valuable resources that will help your business get growing. 
visit dell.com forward slash UK startups to join today.